0: We've read tonight from the second chapter of Mark's Gospel. And you will see there a story is recorded right away, a true story, of course, of Christ healing a man who was sick of a palsy. That means he was paralyzed. And the conversion of that man, the healing of that man, is a type of the conversion of every sinner who comes truly to Christ. It is a conversion story because you'll see that not only was this man's physical ailment dealt with, but his spiritual malady was dealt with by the Lord. The Lord didn't just tell him that he could arise and take up his bed and walk, but crucially, he said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. This is a man, therefore, who didn't just suffer physically, but he suffered spiritually. He had a physical problem, no doubt, but he had a greater spiritual problem that needed to be addressed. It is a unique event in the ministry of Christ. You'll see it also referred to in the Gospel of Matthew, and it is also recorded in Luke chapter 5 just picture the scene. There's the Lord doing as he often did, standing in the midst of a group of people, a large group of people, by the way, because it speaks of the press. And that is not referring to newspaper men. That's referring to those who were pressing in to hear the Lord. There was a big crowd of people all squeezed into that situation in that home. And there he was preaching to the people in a certain house, When all of a sudden, there was a noise above them, and the Lord and presumably the others looked up to the ceiling to see four faces staring down at them through a hole in the ceiling which they had just made. They'd gone up onto the roof because they couldn't gain access to that house any other way, and when they were on the roof, they took up the roof tiles so that they could actually let down their friend by four cords into where Jesus was. These people were rather ingenious, I would say, and they're also rather persistent in their desire to bring their friend before the Lord. The crowds inside and out had obviously prevented these four from bringing their bedridden friend to Jesus to be healed. They couldn't get into the house. But not to be denied, they began to think. Of some way to get their friend into contact with the Lord Jesus and so presumably one of them had the bright idea of going up onto that flat roof taking off the roof tiles and lowering the bed and the man and all into the room where Jesus was and where he could come into direct contact with him be healed by him and that's what they did And as a result, that man, who's described as one sick of the palsy, was healed. And he was saved because his sins were forgiven. When we look at a passage like this and a story like this, we have to understand that there are lessons for us as Christians. And the main lesson that I would bring before you from this passage is that as God's people we ought to be seeking to take a leaf out of the book of these men. Because if you notice what it tells us here in this passage, it's clear that the man could not be helped by them. That is to say, they couldn't heal him. They were not able to cure this paralysis, this sickness that he had. And we're told in Luke's account of this chapter 5 verse 18 behold men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy that means he was paralyzed and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him i like that phrase they sought means to bring him in they couldn't help this man themselves they couldn't heal him they couldn't deal with his sins but they were determined to bring him before the one who could both heal the sickness and deal with the sin. And so as a Christian, I would ask you tonight, and I ask myself the same question, are you in earnest about getting sinners into contact with the Lord Jesus? Is it our aim and objective in life to win others to the Savior? Why are we on this earth Well, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But as believers, if the only reason that God saved us was to take us to heaven, we would have gone to heaven the moment we were saved. That's a fact. If that's the only reason why the Lord saved us was ultimately to take us to heaven, then we wouldn't be waiting all this time. He would have taken us the moment we came to Him, called upon His name for salvation. He would have taken us straight to heaven. But you see, the Lord has not just saved us to take us to heaven. He has saved us to serve him. That's why we're here. We are here on business for our king. The Lord has emissaries, if you like. He has ambassadors, if you like. And that's us, believers, who represent him in the world. And the Lord wants us to be in earnest about finding means to bring sinners into contact with the Lord Jesus. It would be a terrible thing if I or if you were content to be saved ourselves and not willing to do anything to reach others. Now there are Christians who attempt to get men and women to Christ but because they're hindered because the devil opposes them because their own flesh hinders them or some other means they give up and they give up far too easily so that for example if they ask a person to come to church with them or to to go to a gospel meeting and they don't accept that invitation then right away they give up and that's a mistake we should try and try again When it comes to winning people to Christ. We need a holy determination. To reach men. We should not be easily hindered. In our efforts to get sinners into contact with Christ. And such was the case with these men. If you look at the rendering that's given in Luke's gospel chapter 5. We're told in verse 19. And when they, that's the four men, the four friends. Could not find by what way they might bring him, that's their friend, in, because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and led him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And the next verse shows us that that was an act of faith. Because when he saw their faith, not the man's faith, their faith, he saith to the man, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. When he saw their faith. Does the Lord see such faith in us? I heard a preacher say one time some people talk about being tactful in their witnessing. He said, and that's a good thing in some ways, but the problem is that so often they've got so much tact that they've lost contact. And so they never say anything. And they never try to reach people. They just. Go along quietly and never seek to do much by way of making an effort to bring sinners to Christ. Now we must understand that we cannot save men. We can't. I would love so much to get loved ones and friends and acquaintances and just carry them to Christ. I would love to do that. I would love to force them into salvation. But of course that cannot be done. And if we try to force men, what we will end up with is false professions. Now the Apostle Paul said on one occasion, that by all means I might save some. There's two things there at least that we ought to consider. Paul was not ruling out anything, that, as long as it was scriptural. When he said by all means, he means all scriptural means. It doesn't mean unscriptural means methods. There's a lot of that among professing Christians and preachers. No, that by all means, that is by all scriptural and lawful means, I might save some. And there's the other thing. He didn't say that I might save everybody, because Paul did not believe as we do not believe that everybody's going to get saved. But that I might by all means, all scriptural and lawful means, save some. The Lord can enable us by his grace to save some out of the fire. So as we look at this portion and the corresponding portions in those other Gospels, we can understand that believers in Christ can learn much from these men. But of course in this passage, there's not only instruction for believers. There's a message for unbelievers too. And so as we look at the portion, We want to focus particularly on this verse that we find in verse 10 of mark chapter 2 but that ye may know that the son of man that's christ himself hath power on earth to forgive sins he saith to the sick of the palsy i say unto thee arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house so including verse 11 with verse 10. In these words, I think we have a a summary of the gospel. The gospel is summed up here in the following way. First of all, there is a tragedy that is implied here in these words. The Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Notice those three words, to forgive sins. As we've indicated, this palsied man not only had a sick body that was bad enough, but he also had a sinful soul. He had sins that needed to be forgiven by the Lord. He was a sinner. The Lord mentions the sins when he spoke to him in verse 9, He asked a question, whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith, and so on. His sins needed to be forgiven by God. He was a sinner. And yet, as you look at our text, by its wording, it actually implies a greater tragedy than just one man's sin. Now, the Lord's dealing with this one individual, obviously. But this is much wider than just the individual concerned. Our Lord is actually referring here to the tragedy of universal sin. When he says, the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he's not just talking about one man's sins. He's talking about the fact that we all without exception, have sins that need to be forgiven because all men are sinners, without exception. God's Word is clear, isn't it? For there's no difference, Romans 3, verse 22 and 23. For all have sinned and are constantly coming short of the glory of God is the meaning of the verse. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's a truth that's basic to the gospel. Man is a sinner by nature and is a sinner by practice. And both of those need to be forgiven. The sin of his nature and the sin of his practice. The reason that we sin in practice is because of the sin of our nature. The Lord Jesus illustrated this by talking about a tree and its fruit. The fruit that comes from the tree is what it is because of the nature of the tree. The tree produces the corresponding fruit to its nature. That's a basic gospel principle that we have to understand. We're not sinners just because of the things that we do. We do the things that we do because we're sinners. That's the order in which we must speak of these things. Why do people live the way they live? Because their nature is sinful. The nature of the fruit in their lives is because of the nature of their hearts. The Lord Jesus talked about that in another place where he referred to that which cometh out of a man. Those are not the things that defile him, but what he is. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You know why people use bad language? Because they've got a bad heart. People do the things that they do because they have a bad heart, spiritually. And they need forgiveness. This is a basic truth. Man is a sinner by nature. In a sense, you could say he can't help it. It comes naturally to him. And yet he's responsible for that sin. And he's a sinner by nature, But he's also a sinner by practice. And because of this, he needs forgiveness. But that's a fact that's commonly denied today, even in some pulpits. There are folks who will not acknowledge their vile and wretched condition in the sight of God. They think that they're basically good. They're certainly as good as the next person. I've heard that so many times in my life. Well, at least I'm not like this person. Or at least I don't do what this person does. And so they're making excuses for their sins. We're told that man is basically good. If he's placed in the right environment, in the right set of circumstances, he will behave correctly. But what does God say? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Ecclesiastes, to chapter 7 and verse 20. God tells us by his Spirit, for there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. There is no such person except the Lord Jesus Christ, who is without sin. Every person born into this world, including you, is basically evil. That's right. Basically evil. And so those who think, well, I'm I'm not such a bad person. Listen to this. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And what Jeremiah 19, 17, verse 9, is saying is that his heart, man's heart, is incurably wicked. That's the sense of that word that lies behind the English word. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. It means incurably wicked. And in the Gospels, the Lord Jesus himself described what is in each of our hearts. What does does he find in your heart? Well, he finds in your heart what he finds in my heart and everybody else's heart. Mark chapter 7 from verse 20. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man, for from within, see that, from within, out of the heart, of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from where? Within, and defile the man. These things are all on the inside. We have a wicked heart. We are partakers of what is known in theology as original sin. Original sin, that is the sin that has been transmitted to us from our first parents. Romans 5 verse 12 talks about Adam, and it says, by one man, and that's who it's talking about, Adam, by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, or in that all have sinned. So all men of Adam's race have been born in sin, no exceptions. And anyone who fails to acknowledge that fact is calling God a liar. When Job referred to mankind, he didn't exactly use flattering terms. In Job 15 and verses 15 and 16, he said of God, Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. And there he's referring, I believe, to the holy angels. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man? which drinketh iniquity like water. That's not a very flattering picture of us. We're vile and full of sin. Every last one of us has broken God's law with impunity. And this is the tragedy that is implied in this biblical account. But as well as the tragedy that is implied here, we must say, secondly that there's a testimony that is imprinted here. And it's Christ's own testimony. It's the testimony of the faithful witness, the Lord Jesus. And what is that testimony? The Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Here's the answer to man's problem. We're taught here the possibility of forgiveness. And here's an individual... Who was brought by his friends and before Christ who had his sins forgiven. It's clear that he had his sins forgiven because the Lord pronounced his sins to be forgiven. And that's very clear from the other portions outside of Mark's gospel. The one that's found in Luke chapter 5 makes that very clear in verse 20. Because the Lord said to this individual, Thy sins be or are forgiven thee. Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. So we can have our sins forgiven entirely and completely. 1 John 1 7 The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Here's the answer to sin. The psalmist said to the Lord, There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Thy sins be forgiven thee. This same sort of thing is to be discovered in other scriptures in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 7, for instance, from verse 37, it speaks of a woman in the city which was a sinner. That really is telling us that she was a notable sinner because obviously the Holy Spirit has written elsewhere that we're all sinners. So to just say there's a woman in the city which was a sinner, well, he's kind of stating the obvious. But he has a particular thing in mind when he said which was a sinner. She was a woman who was a sinner in a particular way. She was a profligate sinner. She was an evil person. She was a woman who was a woman of the street. That's the thought behind this. But you know what happened? The Lord forgave her sins. The Lord was testifying to others about her kindness to him in the aftermath of her forgiveness. He said in verse 47 of Luke chapter 7, Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven forgiven. This is the pronouncement of Christ. Thy sins are forgiven. Christ can tell you what no no other man can tell you. With all the authority of heaven, thy sins be forgiven thee. See, we're told in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is the possibility of forgiveness And I know that there's people in the world who might say to someone like me, well, preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the kind of life I've lived. You don't understand where I'm coming from. When you're talking about people being sinners, you've no idea how bad a sinner I am. No, I don't. But God knows. And he can still forgive you. I don't care who you are, where you come from, what you've done or what you haven't done. The Lord can forgive you. I'm always greatly encouraged when I think of some of the evil people that are in the world. And then I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I read there from verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's bad news for all those people, isn't it? But look at the next verse. And such were, past tense, some of you. So that tells me that in that Corinthian church there were fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves, of mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, and extortioners. Such were some of you, he said. That's the way you used to be. That's the kind of lives that you live. But you're washed. But you're sanctified. But you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Think about what the grace of God can do. There's none too deep died in sin for the Lord to save. There's nobody beyond the reach of grace And in the case of every one of us when we got saved, those of us who who are, the Lord reached down and lifted us out of the pit. You know, it's possible to have the slate wiped clean. It wasn't like that. When I was a kid, we didn't have our own individual little chalkboards in school, but they used to many years ago. Our parents and grandparents would have had a little slate that they used. And the way to fix the mistakes The way to fix the things that were wrong was to take an eraser and rub it out. And I am old enough to remember the days before whiteboards when there was an actual chalkboard, a blackboard and this thing that we called the eraser or whatever and when there was something on that that needed to be wiped out a bunch of work that we did earlier that was now moving on to the next lesson the teacher would just wipe it out and there's no trace of it anymore and that's an illustration of what happens when the Lord forgives sin it's possible to have every sin removed we used to sing in Sunday school a little children's chorus every sin it had to go neath the cleansing flow hallelujah rolled away rolled away and the burden of my heart rolled away every sin it had to go Neath the cleansing flow, hallelujah, rolled away. And the burden of my heart rolled away. This is what the Lord is able to do. Remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, verse 28. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. Every sin forgiven. This is the testimony that is imprinted here the possibility of forgiveness. But also, we have to think about the testimony here concerning the power of forgiveness. Jesus said it the Son of Man hath power. He has the ability, he has the authority to forgive sins, and nobody else does. No priest, parson, prelate, or preacher, or pastor can forgive your sins. Only Jesus can forgive sins. Only Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And those who said to him, who can forgive sins but God alone? They were absolutely right. They were right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Nobody can. But they were wrong in thinking that he couldn't forgive sins because Jesus Christ is God. That's where they missed the point. Forgiving sins is a divine prerogative. And of course, that's what the Pharisees brought up. They said that who can forgive sins but God alone? What's this man talking about forgiving sins? Only God can do that. No mere man can forgive anyone, that's true. But in Christ we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. God alone forgives sin. It's folly to believe that any man who is himself a sinner could forgive somebody else. Therefore, priestcraft is denied by Scripture. It's God that we've sinned against. And it's only God who can put away our sins. And thank God he does. Blessed is the man whose sin is covered. The man who is justified, whose sins are covered. Psalm 32. The Lord Jesus Christ is and was God. And so there he is in that house, looking at that man. And as God, in his divine prerogatives, he forgave this man's sins. We can only have forgiveness through Christ. That was preached by the apostles in Acts chapter 13. Verses 38 and 39, they stated it very clearly. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, how does he have the power to forgive sins? Because his blood was shed for sins. Doesn't the Bible say that? Christ died for our sins, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. Forgiveness has been provided by the death of Christ at Calvary's cross. And we read about this in Acts chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand, to be a prince and a saviour. Look at this. For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins is through Christ. He has the power to do so. And if there's anybody listening to this message and you're not saved, the Lord has the power to deal with your sins. And only he can say, Man, woman, thy sins are forgiven thee. But there's a third thing here, and it is a truth that is important here. We cannot miss this. Where does the Lord have power to forgive sins? Mark chapter 2, verse 10. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. On earth. Let's not miss the truth that is important here. We have sins that have separated us from God. They need to be forgiven. They need to be taken out of the way. If we're ever to be reconciled to God, it's possible to have our sins forgiven. And Christ has the power to do it. But our sins have to be forgiven upon the earth. We need to get God's forgiveness before we die, or it's going to be forever too late. If you're not forgiven for your sins here, you'll never be forgiven hereafter. And here again, we have a a point at which Romanism is so unscriptural. And anyone, in fact, who believes that there's some way of having a second chance after death, there is no such thing. One of the scriptures describing death describes it as a tree falling and where the tree falls it will lie. If you're not forgiven here you'll not be forgiven hereafter. That does away with prayers for the dead, doesn't it? That does away with requiem masses, doesn't it? There is no second chance after death because you're going to be in eternity what you were in time. In other words, Whatever your state is, leaving this earth, that's your state throughout eternity. Revelation 22 verse 11 puts it like this. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. There's no change After death a person who's a believer leaving this life they change their position but the condition of their soul doesn't change in the sense that if they're saved at death they'll be saved for all eternity but a person who dies lost will remain lost for all eternity and that's a dreadful thing to consider you're going to be throughout eternity what you were in time. When you died, the condition that you were in spiritually is the condition that you will be in for all eternity. Therefore, the time to be saved is today, now, while you're on the earth, not afterwards. We learn this very clearly from the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man knew he was lost. It's quite interesting, you know, when you read that portion that he never, ever asked to get out of hell. He didn't ask for that. He didn't say, now, go to Lazarus in Abraham's bosom and and get me out of this place. He never said that. But rather he said, I want you to go to Lazarus and I want you to send him to my brothers. And I want you to tell these five brothers of mine Testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Imagine being in hell and having a burden for souls. Think of that. A man who's in hell who has a great desire to see his family members saved. He doesn't want them to come to this place of torment. That's exactly what he said. It's remarkable. But this man recognized, you see, that the time to be saved was when he was on the earth. And his brothers were still on the earth and they could still get right with God. And he wanted Lazarus to go and preach to them so that they wouldn't come to that place. But Abraham told him, they've already got Moses and the prophets, they've got the Bible, they've got the scriptures. Let them hear them, let them hear the voice of God and the word. No, we're not going to send Moses and the prophets to witness to them. They've got the Scriptures. And he argued with Abraham. He said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham contradicted him by saying, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And there's a lesson for us. As Christians, some people think, but if we could only show unsaved people some great miracle, they would believe. No, they wouldn't. Because they've got the scriptures. They have Moses. They have the Pentateuch. They have the prophets. Those were the only scriptures they had at that time. But he said if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be persuaded, even if somebody rose from the dead, which would be an amazing miracle, wouldn't it? That's why I am not a great fan of evangelism by apologetics because there's a lot of people who think, well, if we could just show unsafe people that there's really no alternative that's viable. So we'll bring them down to Kentucky and we'll let them see the model of Noah's Ark. Now, that's fine. You can do that. That's a beautiful model, apparently. It's really amazing. But I never saw anything in the Scripture where Paul and the apostles all built some sort of a an ark or some other biblical prop to try to prove that the Bible was true. They didn't do that. They preached the Word of God, and if people don't hear the Word of God, they're not going to be saved. I don't care what you tell them. Let me tell you this. If they found Noah's ark, and there are those who think they did, and they think they have photographs of it. If you found Noah's ark and you showed it to those that are unsaved, Without the Holy Spirit convicting them of their sins and causing them to repent, they would not get saved. I don't believe in evangelism by props. Paul said to Timothy, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He said, The time is going to come when they're going to turn away their ears from the truth and they will be turned onto fables. They'll listen to fairy tales before they'll listen to the truth. That's because of the depravity of men's hearts. There's an awful lot of foolishness that prevails among Christians where they think that this, that, or the other thing is going to persuade people to get saved. It's not. It may be very useful in encouraging the heart of a believer to see how all the animals could fit onto the ark. There's no doubt that there's good in that but if we're depending on models and exhibits to preach the gospel I think we've missed the point point. and the time to be saved is now while you're on the earth some people like to tell stories about going to heaven's gate and knocking on the gate and St Peter coming to the gate I don't know why it's always Peter do you? why is it always Peter that, that meets you at heaven's gate. Why, why not Andrew or Paul? Maybe there's a bit of popery in people's minds. Maybe that's what it is. But you have this myth, knocking on heaven's gate, and Peter answering the door and letting you in. Listen, your destiny is settled in time, and it's sealed for all eternity. And people's prayers on this earth after you've departed are futile. They're a waste of time and breath. God says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I think it was Sir Walter Raleigh who was asked what he thought were the greatest letters in the English alphabet. He said, N O W. Now, not later. Not next week, not next month, not let's think about it for a while. No, today, today, Will you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Because you see, there is such a thing as being too late. Luke chapter 13, verse 24 and 25, tells us, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying Lord, Lord, open unto us and he shall answer and say unto you I know you not whence ye are then shall ye begin to say we have eaten and drunk in thy presence thou hast taught in our streets but he shall say I tell you I know you not whence ye are depart from me all you workers of iniquity there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth Too late, too late will be the cry, for Jesus of Nazareth has passed by. You know, you mightn't be upon the earth much longer. I got a real shock about a year ago, or thereabouts, when June had that diagnosis, stage 4 cancer, death sentence, let's be honest death sentence no warning no thought that this was just around the corner there it is boom a grenade dropped into your life a grenade dropped into your life that's what it felt like I can tell you there's none of us that knows what a day may bring forth you might not be on the earth much longer people have all their plans made my late wife and I had a lot of plans Made. There were things that we were planning to do that we didn't get done during that horrible time called COVID. Anniversaries to celebrate, places that we wanted to go. It all came to an end. It all came crashing down a year ago. Because you don't know what a day may bring forth. And there's such a thing as being too late. Where is it and when is it that people are saved? Here's the truth that is important here it's upon the earth. We need to be ready for eternity. We need to say of the Lord Jesus Christ what Jacob said about his son Joseph I will go and see him before I die. I will go and see him before I die. That's when we need to be saved. So anyone who hears this message, you're not a believer, let me plead with you. Don't put these things off. Come now and be washed in the blood. And God, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, will forgive you. And then you'll be able to rejoice like Paul, that when I'm absent from the body, I'm going to be present with the Lord. When I leave this temple of clay behind, I'm going to be in the immediate presence of Christ. And that assurance can only come to you while you're on the earth. Here and now. Thank God the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. And may the Lord help us to be like these men who brought their friend into contact with Christ. May we seek by prayer and by personal effort to bring people into contact with the Savior. Let's seek the Lord on their behalf that they might be saved by His grace. May God grant that it may be so. Amen.